Dear listener, I was born in 1985. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means I spent many hours of my teenage life high watching people play the video game Halo. I would sit in a room with other people, but we would not interact. No one ever said a word, for there were only two sounds allowed, gurgling and the gunfire from Halo. Eventually, these sounds of Halo became just too much for me, and I moved to Music City, USA in pursuit of other sounds. I found these sounds. They were called music. Then, I began to travel. I traversed America's itinerant show space, and I performed recitations across its many stages. I took these music sounds with me on stage, just to break the ice. They became part of my recitations. I recited words. I recited music. I used them to interact, for they helped warm a crowd. Many miles later, I was performing on stage in a ubiquitous watering hole. There was a flat screen opposite its saloon-style proscenium. This screen, it was flashing consumer fascist propaganda. And though this room was full of people, we were not interacting. Yet, I continued my recitations until, suddenly, my sounds became gurgling and gunfire. My recitations were muted, and that's when I knew it. God of mercy, I thought I'd done damn become Halo, interpassifier of worlds, a ritual of convenience, a complicit accessory, an undead avatar who respawns on a new stage every night at sunset, somewhere between the paranormal and the parasocial, who, like the gunmen from Halo, cannot, do not, exist without the attentive energy of eyeballed asses paid in seats upon them who never say a word. They feed upon them from behind and through a screen. And so I decided, if this buffalo must have wild wings, I ought to be a conflicted vampire rather than a cynical performer. For I could not play along. My recitations could not hide such an ugly thing. That is why now I hiss and smoke in the spotlight sarcophagus style. The ghouls love it. Nothing works a room like a good yarn, right? You see, since becoming Halo, I developed a morbid curiosity for a certain subject of inquiry. This subject is attention. It can be paid. It can be given. It can be withheld. Some detest it, some crave it, but in what form? For attention can be anything from currency to commodity to calorie. It can be transmuted to sate any appetite's longing. It is an interesting feature of our living world, and perhaps beyond. And that brings me to our episode's stories, dear listener. One of a human who longs to see ghosts and one of a ghost who longs to see humans. So let's get down to it. Comedian, musician, poet, writer, lover, and metal detection enthusiast Chris Crofton is looking to spend. Attention's burning a hole in his pocket. But will the paranormal accept his tender heart? You've got to find out about Block Island, fools. But me? Well, my name's Daniel Luca Pujol. 
I recite words. I recite music. I perform recitations. That is my act, but it is not just an act. So get your fangs out, because this is Faces in the Corner. My name is Chris Crofton, and I'm going to talk to you about a trip to Block Island, Rhode Island, which is a little island off the coast of Rhode Island. It's about 15 miles out there, I think. It takes about an hour by the ferry, so it's not connected to land. You got to even now, you got to take a ferry, and it's seven miles long and two miles wide, which is very small. It's in the island chain of like Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, and. Block Island, and Block Island's the smallest one. My friend had been spending summers out there since he was a teenager, and he just said, hey, what are you doing after college? And I was like, I don't fucking know. I just want to drink, you know? And he was like, okay, we'll come to Block Island, and you can wait tables. My friend Bill had a house on Block Island that his parents bought in the 1960s. Now, in the 1960s, Block Island had been hit by a bunch of hurricanes. Before that, like, presidents had come out there, and it was, like, a big spot for people to um, take the air when everyone had tuberculosis. Everyone would go out there and just, like, sniff the salt air, and that was, like... And it had a sort of... The history was sort of confined in this in this area. There was the history... And there was a violent history. This is something that I don't think about, but this is a true thing. The, the those, those Dutch people that took over the island ran the Native Americans off a, off the bluffs. The, the island has very high bluffs. And there's this famous story that could be a myth, but I don't I don't think I think it's based in fact that they they had a, a war to take over the island and the Native Americans were forced off a cliff and fell to their deaths. So I mean in terms of some getting to this island is particularly haunted. And I don't know why, and nobody who lives there really knows why. Like, you believe in ghosts or you don't. I mean, most, most people are like, everything that happens is the wind. But I believe in ghosts. And I believed in ghosts before I went to Block Island. So there's a lot of theories as to why Block Island's haunted. But I had heard about Block Island being haunted before I went there. But I was not going there to really to investigate ghosts. I was mostly going there to hopefully kiss a girl and... And, and get drunk and get drunk. Block Island, where I went to relax and try and kiss girls, turns out was like a phantasmagoric nightmare. So it turns out the bodies on Block Island had to stay there all winter because the, the, the ocean would freeze and the, the ferry couldn't run. So if you died in Block Island in the winter... You ended up on a block of ice, mostly, I think, at the Beck Farm, is what people said. I think that they kept the bodies at the Beck Farm. People talked about the Beck Farm. And people have talked about Bill's house being weird for very many years, and there are very many stories about it. And it's not the only house out on that island that 
has stories like this. I heard the stories when I first went out there, and I mostly heard them about the Beck Farm. So, I met a guy who was an eight-year-old staying out there with his parents, and he was staying in a room with three doors. Beck Farm's a big old 19th century farmhouse, huge. And when he woke up, he couldn't get out of the room. All three doors, all three doors were locked. All the rooms, all the doors had key locks, like real old, like late 1800s key locks. No one had a key to any of them. His father had to take the door off the hinges to get him out of the room. So that I had heard that story. I'd also heard a story of seances that people had had out there. Tables being lifted into the air. Candles being extinguished on command and then relighting themselves on command. And he, you know, he might have, you know, once again, he might have misperceived it. But that's what I was told. So I, I ran into Bill's house. Okay, so I was like, oh man, I, oh God. You know, it was like my first night there and I was like, we were drunk. Because me, me and Bill were always drunk incredibly wild and activated and i ran in the house and i said give me ghosts give me ghosts and at that moment all the lights in the house started to dim and then go up to full brightness and then dim and then go up to full brightness and then they started to dim really low and then go bright again and then they just went out bill said but he had never seen the power go out in a way like that he had never seen in all his years the the power the the lights dim and then get bright and then dim and then get bright and then go out i was taking then then toward the end of that first summer i was out there i ended up staying at that house and i was frightened because it i was by myself bill went off island back to new york city and i was out there for i wanted to stay out there probably to avoid the real world for another month so i got into the off season so the island was dead quiet the house was dead quiet. I knew it was a weird house. I knew it was had the potential to frighten me, so I was scared. So Bill would sleep with a bat, which seemed to be a hole in his story that he didn't, you know, that he didn't believe the house was haunted because he wasn't afraid of burglars. But anyway, there was this weird thing where it was like both the father and Bill would like secretly, they'd be like, listen, I'll concede to you. I think maybe it's haunted, but not together. Like together, the two of them would act like it wasn't haunted just to prove to each other that the other one was more rational than the other. Like, oh yeah, you think it's haunted? You know, you <laughs> basically like you, you effeminate. Oh, uh, you know, and it's effeminate to believe in haunted stuff. So maybe it's just because they're drinking. Maybe all the people on Block Island are drinking their heads off because they're too, because they think they, like fishermen aren't supposed to believe in ghosts. Like that's not what you're allowed to talk about on a fishing boat. Like, hey, do you hear my house is haunted? They'd be like, let's kill that guy. Let's throw him in a net. So everyone on Block Island drinks their fucking head off and they die from it to prove that they don't believe in ghosts, essentially. Maybe we as a culture are all fucking partying ourselves to death because in denial of ghosts. In denial of mystery. So I got in the shower in the house by myself after everyone was gone. Everyone was gone from, you know, Bill was not around, his dad was not around. And this is the most, this is the most dramatic thing that happened to me that proved to me that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that only a ghost could do this, as, as opposed to like, I don't think the ghost can turn out the lights, I don't think the ghost can do this. Well, this was a thing that was classic ghost. I got in the shower, 
I was wearing my watch that I had just bought at a flea market. And it was one of those big Brady Bunch watches with a big fat leather band. And so I was so excited about it that I was like, I kept looking at it and admiring it. The watch didn't work. It was just like a totally a fashion piece. I put, I got in the shower and I had that watch on. And I went, oh gosh, this is some old leather. I don't want to get it wet. So I hung it up on the top of the shower. It was like a sho- box shower because the house was like, they bought it in the 60s. It had been owned by one owner since like the night, since like 1910. So it was just like this really old, like, and they kept it that way. The family was kind of like, the mom was an artist. She painted, um, which was so unusual for me. Like they were such an artsy family for me coming from Connecticut. I was finding my people. I was, I want, I wanted to be with people who painted, who were comfortable with doing things without, a, you know, people are comfortable with people who are curious, but these people were only, they were comfortable with art, but then they weren't comfortable with ghosts because it affected their rental business. But anyway, I was like happy, you know, I was like around artists, you know, I got in the shower it was an old box shower, like a Sears, like a rectangle you stick in the corner. And so it's like there's nothing on. There's no no places to hide. It's just a plain old metal box. And I hung the my watch up over the top of it. And I got out of the shower and I went to get my watch and it was not there at all. I just, I mean, it was, I kind of like looked around on the floor I remembered exactly where I'd put it because it was my prized possession at the time and and I remembered that I had worn it in the shower by mistake. So I hung it I hung it on the on the top of the shower and then when I got out of the shower it was not there. So I was like, "Oh, hmm." Really confused and then I kind of left the room. And I was like, "Maybe I left it in the bedroom, but I knew I didn't, but I still like looked for it." You're trying to live in the world of the rational, so you're like, "Well, it can't have disappeared, so it must be in my room or something, even though if you know it's not there. And then I went back in the bathroom, and it was there, where it was, when I put it there the first time. And I know for a fact that the wind didn't steal my watch. It was the most definite, beyond the laws of nature thing that I'd ever seen in my life at that time. I was like, holy fuck. Because I also got the feeling that I didn't think that if I had caught it at the right moment, like I looked out of the shower, I could have seen a skeleton with a top hat, like running away with my watch. That was not what happened. It was like a flicker in time or a, it was something more, less personal. I don't think that I could have seen the watch floating out of the room and then floating back. The watch was there and then the watch was gone and then the watch was back. And I was thrilled because you see if ghosts exist, If shit like that exists, if everything is not just what Americans want it to be, which is just you buy shit until you die, it turns out that maybe there's more to life than we realize with our 10% of our brains we're using. I mean, the arrogance that we have is unbelievable. Ghosts can't do this, ghosts can't do that. But something stole my watch. Then I was on the phone with my mother in the kitchen And I heard two loud human claps come out of the air. And I went and looked. Once again, you kind of are like, well, it must be someone clapping. But I kind of knew there was no one clapping. So, but I still like went outside and was like, hey, who's clapping? You know what I mean? Because you want to keep it normal. You know, that's the thing about ghosts. Like, oh, well, I better check to see who's clapping. Even though I knew no one was clapping. So I just heard two claps. 
And I was like, I don't know. So I got back on the phone. I was like, that was weird. You know, it wasn't scary because it was the middle of the day, which also brings up ghosts aren't always trying to scare you and it doesn't always happen at night. This ghost clapped twice in the middle of the day. I didn't even think it was weird because I was like, that must have been someone clapping, even though I know it wasn't. I just, it came out of the air. Oh, well, who cares? Let's get drunk. In the house, Bill and his father, you know, who are both pretending that nothing's going on in there, are like finding all their belongings on the wrong shelves. And like, it's like everything's going wrong in there and they just blame each other like a couple of psychopaths because they, even though they both will privately admit they that they think something is weird is going on. So they just like keep saying how they, they, they keep acting like everything that's going on is like the fault of the other one. So Bill's dad is like, Bill, why, why'd you put my, why'd you put my, uh, my false teeth on the top shelf behind the furnace in the basement? And like, you know, and Bill would be like, fuck you. I didn't do anything with your fucking teeth, but he couldn't say like a ghost did it. So he had to just be like, I didn't do it. I don't know who did it. You know, but they both knew it was a ghost, but they just like, it's screaming each other and almost getting a fight. Bill and Bill and his dad wouldn't admit there was a ghost in their house. But they privately would admit to me that strange things happened. But then if I was like, it's a ghost, they got mad at me, even though they were trying to get me to say it was a ghost. So it was really, God, it was a psychological hall of mirrors, really. Every night, I guess, for like, I don't know, the, like the whole time they lived there, which was like 40 years, they, they fucking, this painting at the top of the stairs would be crooked. It was the same thing that happens all the time. Like, you'd be like, stop, why isn't everybody, you know, like, what is, who keeps unstraightening this painting, you know? Like, Bill, did you fucking touch the, why is this, that's just annoying. Why is it always, every time, it's. So they straighten this painting every day. And they just tell themselves that it's the wind. So it was just a really, really surreal thing for me because I believed in ghosts and I had no financial incentive to not believe in ghosts and the fact that there is a financial incentive to believe not believe in ghosts is just fucking funny on block island like people are running around like getting kicked in the ass by ghosts and being like fred stop kicking me in the ass they're like i didn't do it larry stop coming in my house and stop coming in my room rattling chains in the middle of the night and going ooh, ooh, and then i didn't do it that must have been somebody else like maybe a ghost no not a ghost it's probably smitty Smitty does that when he's drunk. He's always rattling chains. Sometimes he goes down to the power station and cuts the lights for the whole island. Right on the right, right on the right time, too, to make it spooky. But that's Smitty. So yeah, people are running around Block Island getting getting thrown in the lake by ghosts and then blaming their friend Smitty. So Bill and his father are in the kitchen, and this is really happening. Bill comes back to the house, and I'm there. And his dad confronts him, says, listen, if you want to borrow my tools, just ask me to borrow my tools. Don't come in the house in the middle of the night and dump them all over the kitchen floor. And Bill goes, I didn't fucking do that. And his dad goes, well, who the fuck did then? And Bill says, I don't fucking know. And they're about to fight. Even though they both know why. You guys both have told me privately you think something weird's going on in this house. You can stop, you know, performatively fighting. So, the other thing that happened was my brother was out visiting, and, uh... I mean, this was pretty full-on crazy. 
But we were in the house and, you know, there were times where I forgot the house was weird. So me and my brother were just hanging out and I had told Greg about the house being haunted, but I wasn't thinking about it at the time. Me and my, Greg was visiting. I love my brother, Greg, and we were just like hanging out and drinking beer and having fun. And I, I forget what we were doing. Like maybe steady diet of nothing and just enjoying being fucking 22 and having fun. And then Greg goes, what was that? And I was like, what was what? And then I, all of a sudden I was like, there was like a really, really weird noise coming out from Bill's room, which was a room that supposedly a woman died in childbirth in. But there was never any documentation, you know, nobody could ever prove, I, I never heard any real proof of it. It was another one of those things where it's like, you just hear something like, oh, they kept bodies on ice out there. And then you're kind of like, I don't know if that explains it. You're like, woman died in childbirth? Lots of women died in childbirth. Unfortunately, that was a very common thing. My father's first, my dad, my grandfather's first wife died in childbirth. I mean, it was a very uh, horrible, common thing. So, I mean, why does that necessarily make a house haunted? Because I know there's like... That happens, you know, like you get into like, I don't know, but that was the story that in Bill's room, a woman had died in childbirth. And that room was the focus of a lot of the activity in the house. I guess over the years, there there's this door. As you walk in the front door to the right, there's a door and these are ancient doors, you know, probably, you know, 1900 and they're all lopsided and weird. And so that door to the right, that door to that bedroom that's to the right of the front door the minute you walk in was always doing stuff. Like someone said they walked in the house and they heard a breath, a loud breath, like a ah, come from that door and they ran away. Another story was they were practicing with their band in the basement and they, there was a tennis ball. Someone threw a tennis ball upstairs and then like 10 minutes later, it was thrown back down. Dogs coming in that house and fucking barking their fucking heads off at that door I'm talking about. So that door was starting to make noises that made no sense. The night was completely still. There was no wind or anything. So that door started like straining. Like straining. You could hear it straining and like cracking. And then there was this... Then the front door sort of started to wiggle and jump a little. Just a little. But then a big noise started coming out of Bill's room. Pretty loud. And then it was like, okay, something is going on. There's nothing happening. There's no earthquake. There's no fucking wind. There's no nothing. It's just all of a sudden, this little area is throwing some kind of tantrum. And I know that room. I knew Bill's room. I knew what was in there. I knew everything that was in there. It was like three things. And none of them go... So, I mean, it was like I knew something was fucking up. And the door was straining and moving. And, I mean, it was really... But, I, you know, I'm like a mad scientist. I'm like, this is proof there's more to life than I realized. I'm so happy. I mean, I'm in this moment happy. You know, I'm like, this is awesome. Finally, a door does something besides just sit there. You know, life is finally interesting. I knew doors had more in them. I knew rooms could squeak if they really just were in the mood. So I was fucking pumped. You know, I was like, I looked like a guy who just discovered, you know, electricity. I probably looked like Nikola Tesla. Like, I was like, ah, yeah, it's here, it's here, it's here. So anyway, then someone came in the house. And I was like, we were both like, Shh, the door's doing crazy stuff. And they went over and just grabbed the door and opened it. And it all stopped. I was so mad. Ruined everything. You know, he's like, what are you talking about? Hey, let me see this door. Grabbed it. And I do believe one rule about ghosts. 
And that is they don't perform for assholes. So if you show up with a bad attitude, they're not going to give you a show. So old Kyle came in and grabbed the door. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this door. What is door? Let me see that door. When I first came to Bill's house, I was interested in the house because I'd heard it was haunted and I'd always been interested in ghosts. And so I asked them, well, I couldn't really ask Bill because he didn't like to tell, he didn't like to tell ghost stories because he, you know, he, as we've said, he, he, he didn't like to admit that the house was haunted. So I had to kind of ask friends who didn't have a financial interest in denying ghosts. So there were like four of them sleeping in that room. And I guess as kids, they were teenagers and they were all just like in that room hanging out. And um, that door started pushing in pretty violently. I don't think this was a long thing, but it pushed and it pushed. And then a piece, it, it pushed so hard that a piece of it broke off and flew into the room where they were sitting. Bill was pretty sure his dad did it. And his dad was pretty sure Bill did it. So anyway, me and Greg got to see a ghost or hear a ghost. Because I can guarantee you that rooms don't just throw tantrums. And there was no wind. I remember looking out the window because I'm aware. I've been reading about this shit for years. So I know someone's going to try and tell me it was the wind. I looked out the window to see if there was any wind during the event. Because I just wanted to have that taken care of. So I was like, if they try and say wind, I, I looked. There's no fucking wind. And there's not an earthquake. So that was like the big event in terms of like actual physical shit happening besides the clap and besides the stealing of my watch. And then there was this other thing that was connected to the to lights going out. I was laying in bed every night, unbeknownst to me, the stereo receiver in my room, like an old time receiver with like a radio dial on it, was on at like sort of, I, I didn't even know it was on. It was always on, but it was Block Island didn't get any reception. For any radio stations. It was just like, because it's out in the middle of nowhere. So there's no stations, notoriously. I mean, you could drive around in the car and turn the dial around. There's nothing. Nothing comes in at all. Dead silence all the time. I'm in bed, scared already. I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, please don't do anything. That's what I'm thinking in my head. I just want to go to sleep. I'm like, please don't do anything. Please don't do anything. Please don't do anything. I'm not drunk. It was like one of the nights I was was not drunk. It was like, sometimes I took, I took like Sundays to maybe try and dry out. But those Sundays were always like, my nerves were already shot from, from all the, just dumping all those depressants into my body. So Sundays were just bad days, you know, but that was a night I was, I was sober and I was in bed and I was just, please don't do anything. Please don't do anything. Please don't do anything. That's what I was thinking. And then I forgot and I was starting to drift off to sleep and loud and clear, a radio station started booming out of that stereo which I didn't even know was on and had been on for months without making any noise because there was a low hum of static that I couldn't even hear that was coming out of that radio. And then a radio station came in and it turned out that volume was actually at a pretty decent level and I about died. My head probably almost came off of my body. I, a loud, clear a rap song just started blasting in that room and I almost died I mean I bet you could have seen my bones that's how scared I was and I'm like well that can't be a ghost they can't control the radio but I'm like how the fuck did that happen especially right after me being like please don't do anything please don't do anything please don't do anything I'm just trying to sleep and then a, a radio that never has made a noise before functions out of nowhere I mean you could say sunspots I know a lot of you are saying sunspots solar flares possibly 
I got to go to Beck Farm one time during the day, and I was so excited. This woman had, she she liked me. I went out there. Somehow she was like, come out to the Beck Farm. I'm staying at the Beck Farm. And um, when I was there, a door fell off the hinges. Like, uh, it fell off the, like, we were standing in the in the living room, and a door fell off the, <coughs> fell on the floor. Like, a door that was attached to hinges just fell on the floor. And I was like, well, that's interesting. That's never, that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, and she was like, oh, yeah, the other day, like, I was downstairs, and I just heard fucking shit being thrown all over the hall upstairs. Just shit being thrown everywhere. And there was no one else in the house, and I went up there, and there was nothing anywhere. Nothing was thrown. There's just like, but I heard the sounds of things being thrown everywhere. So I was like, oh man, this is crazy. Like, I mean, I just saw a door fall down. And she was basically like, yeah, it does that. That's happened sometimes. But that could be just like from the hinges being bad. You know, like back, you know, it was like back to like things aren't ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been around a lot of houses and never, ever, ever has a door even come loose halfway, let alone just fallen off. You know, so it's like, yeah, we've been meaning to grease those hinges. That thing ha- that happens all the time. Um, but it's not ghosts. So don't be afraid to rent this place if you want. Because that, that door just is a trick door. It's always falling off. So this woman wants to, you know, and I'm like, I don't like her. But then I I kind of was like, well, I want to go back to, the, and it was nighttime. And she's like, you want to come back to my house? And I kind of, I want, I was like, I kind of wanted to go because I wanted to see, be at the Beck Farm at night. That sounds terrible, but I, I wanted to like, I halfway, I was like, maybe I'll make out with her a little bit and then, and then maybe I'll see a ghost too and then i went I, st- I ended up staying over at her house and then nothing happened years after i was kissing girls hoping to see ghosts years after i was back out on that island and i was trying to recapture my youth but i was having a lot of trouble by then i was having panic attacks all the time i was really i was out there for a wedding and i went to to this bar that i loved to see this irish singer sing that i loved and I drank probably like six Irish coffees. They're a heavy pouring place, Block Island, because they everyone out there is trying to pretend there are no ghosts, so they're pouring them heavy. So there's like two shots at each one. So I had 12 shots of whiskey and 12 cups of coffee. And then I went to bed. And somehow I fell asleep. <laughs> you know, fell asleep in quotes. And then I woke up and I was staying at Bill's house. And man, oh man. Because whatever kind of sleep you get after you have 12 cups of coffee and 12 shots of whiskey and a can of Ready Whip is some weird, unproductive sleep. Because I woke up a nervous fucking wreck. And my body was like, fuck you, you dumbass. And we're about to teach you a lesson because we're about to tear the top of your fucking head off. And we're going to use your goddamn spinal cord as a smokestack. So I had a panic attack the likes of which my body just said, my body just took all that whiskey and all that ready whip and all that fucking coffee and just shot it straight up my spine and my fucking head and fucking poured out my eyeballs. And I just started literally like thrashing around. Like I was like banging my head against the wall. I was like trying to get this off of me because I feel like it's like panic attack feels like it has you in its clutches kind of in a weird way. So it's like it's like almost like having an octopus, a fear octopus, like wrapped around you and you're trying to pry it off of you. So I was like banging, you know, you feel like you want to touch things because you want to get out of the realm of anxiety and into the well. Like if you figure if you put your head in a mud puddle or something, you might be able to be alive. So I was like grabbing pieces of wood. The whole house is made of wood and plaster. And the plaster has horse hair in it. 
So it's that old of a house when they used the binder was horsehair. This is an ancient house, and I'm throwing a tantrum the likes of which it may have never seen. I mean, I'm, I'm sure in, in, a, in a community of ghost-denying fishermen, there have probably been some epic panic attacks, but this one was really bad. I was fucking pulling on every piece of wood, trying to, you know, trying to kiss the wood, trying to move into the wood, trying to put my face into the plaster far enough that I could be, could be real. Make me real, plaster! Make me real! It was that kind of panic attack. Like, I was fucking rubbing my face against the floor. There was a little movement-activated nightlight in the bathroom. I was on the bathroom floor, sweating, just miserable, you know, just freaking out, putting water on my face. I had just slammed the door and I, you know, and rubbed my face on the floor. And, you know, these ghosts are probably like, depending on whether they're sentient, they were like, fuck, this guy's like going to destroy this fucking house. And it's our house. And Mr. Six Irish Coffees, this fucking idiot who's kissing girls to see ghosts. And this idiot is going to destroy our home. So I'm sitting six feet away from this motion-activated nightlight, and it comes on. And I couldn't figure out if the ghosts were saying, it's okay, or stop destroying our house. I took it to mean in the, in the setting, that in, in the way I was feeling was so bad, and I'm making a joke out of this, but this is a bad part of my life in the sense that I was an alcoholic and I, I kept thinking it was like helping me and I couldn't stop doing it. And I couldn't, I thought drinking was like the only thing that kept me happy, but it was really this thing that was making me sick. That light came on and then it went off, but that light was, I mean, once again, it could be, oh, so, you know, if you're a scientist, you're like, oh, the electricity must have, you know, whatever. It could have, could have been a million things. But I felt like it was in that moment, it, it lit up to tell me, I took it as to be a loving thing. Like, hey, look, like, you know, like, here's something. Like, there's more to life. That's what I took it to mean. I took it to mean, here, we're lighting this for you. We're lighting this for you because you know this is a motion-activated thing. You know there's no one near it. We're lighting this for you to say there's more to life than ghost denial and alcohol. But it could also have been saying, stop fucking slamming the doors in our house. Yeah, I think it's funny that people assign rules to ghosts. Everyone's got their everyone's got their theory that they're vengeful, that they're spirits that are un restless, you know, restless or like they have some debt to settle or they, you know, you need to give them back their amulet or else they can't go to sleep or whatever, you know, whatever kind of fucking shit that people make up about why ghosts are doing what they're doing. I'm trying to be a believer in ghosts and be rational at the same time, which is a funny spot to be in. That ghost is throwing dishes around because it's mad that that they got murdered. People like to ascribe human emotions to everything, you know, which is just a product of us being humans. And, and that's our only perspective we know, so we have to project that perspective on everything because we don't know any other perspective. But I don't believe that ghosts are exacting revenge. I believe they're probably... Well, I, I met this guy who, who worked in Nashville, actually, at the cannery, which is a, used to be a cannery in the 19th century. And uh, I was back in the more industrial parts of the cannery, which is now a music venue. But back in the back in the back corridors, you could tell it's a was a cannery. You know, it's a factory. So this guy told me that he sees. I asked him because I'm always wondering. I was like, man, this is an old building. You ever see anything in here? And he said, yes. As a matter of fact, I see this guy who walks, and he walks, and he's wearing kind of old time clothes, and he's like 
the first time I saw him, I thought he was a person who wasn't supposed to be here. And I said, hey, but he didn't acknowledge me. And he just went up the stairs. And then I've seen him a couple times since then. And he said that he felt like it was a trace of this man doing his job at the cannery from a long time ago. And he was just following his route. And that's why he didn't respond to him. And he wasn't mad at him. And he wasn't exacting revenge. And it wasn't because somebody stole his amulet or whatever. It was, it was because uh, he was just a trace of his former self going through his former motions. Or he was a parallel uni- he's in a parallel universe still doing that job. And, and for some reason it overlapped for a moment. Just like the parallel universe may have overlapped and my watch may have gone into another dimension. And then my watch was back in our dimension. And it was just because something for a minute, there was a ripple. There's something to it. That's the thing. This is not all... This guy was not making this up to me. This guy doesn't just need glasses, and it wasn't the wind. The wind doesn't make you see a person, and I don't care how clean your glasses are or dirty your glasses are, you don't see people walking around. And this guy wasn't making that shit up. He didn't even tell me. I asked him. The idea that ghosts have some motivation or that they're... We don't know what the ghosts are doing, but I'm just happy they're doing it because when they something like that happens, it really does bring up what is obvious that we don't know what the fuck is going on we don't know why are we here we have no fucking idea we're 10% brain using monkey people who are just thinking that everybody thinks like us like oh that ghost is probably smashing dishes because they're mad they don't have enough money oh that ghost is probably mad and it shows up because they, they probably didn't make enough money in their lifetime so they, they're probably having a hard time buying stuff in the afterlife so they're throwing a tantrum because they didn't work hard enough. Humans just are, love to attach narratives to things that have no narrative. This life has no narrative. We imposed one on it. And those scientists that say everything is the wind are using the same amount of their brain as we are. I mean, it's all just guesswork. We don't find out till later. But, or maybe we never find out. But who cares anyway? Because we won't know it. We don't know what's what's going on, so... So I don't, I don't think there, go, there are rules for ghosts. I think gro- ghosts can turn off the power for the whole island. I think ghosts can make radio stations come in if they want them to. I think ghosts can, you know, clap if they feel like clapping. But, I mean, none of it makes any sense, and you can't say it's because of some shit that you're going through, like the ghost is mad about this and the ghost is mad about that. I don't think ghosts are mad about anything. I think they're having fun. I think we're the ones that are mad. Well, there you go. Block Island is officially on my Pooge to playlist, right below Mothman Festival. An island full of ghosts, barely escapable by ferry. Talk about a captive audience. I'm surprised it's not more popular. 
but back to attention. Specifically, that attention of an audience. Some seek to hold it. Some seek to harness it. Some simply covet it. But what if the audience is scary? I'm not talking about stage fright. I'm talking about an attention surplus from a terrifying eyeball with its ass in a front row seat. That dog finally caught that car, huh? Looks like you're the star of the show now, kid. Can't you smell the Shalimar? The Red-Headed Lady, as told to you by Levy Morrow. The entire intersection glows the sick green that is diffusing from the traffic light into the mist. I close my eyes, take a deep breath through my nostrils, exhale, and then tighten my grip on the steering wheel. I swallow hard, open my eyes, and accelerate through the intersection. I only have to make it three blocks without losing it. Concentrate on the warm air blowing on my hands from the defrost vents, I tell myself. Watch the windshield wipers smearing the wet droplets across the windshield. Don't look over to the passenger seat. But then, I smell it. Shalimar. The same scent that's filled the car every Wednesday night for the past three weeks as I pass through this intersection on the way home from visiting my sister in the hospital. I sense the red-headed lady is in the car. Slowly, I glance at the passenger seat out of the corner of my eye. I'm not able to turn my head. I see her there. I see her bright, red, dyed, frizzy shoulder-length hair, her rabbit fur bomber jacket, the cheap gold anic pendant hanging around her neck. Her lipstick is an almost fluorescent shade of pink. I know if I turn and look directly at her, she will be smiling. Not just smiling, but smiling directly at me. It's a timeless, blank, sickening Mona Lisa kind of smile. A service with a smile kind of smile. Only face deep. Every Wednesday night after work, I have to take new socks and nightgowns to my sister. It became apparent that even though she's not permitted to have anything like scissors, knives, or tweezers, she continues to shred her socks and gowns. The nurses think maybe she's using her teeth? Perhaps, but she might just be picking at the finished ends until the threads unravel. My sister can be quite persistent. She believes she's a lake and that her clothing articles are lilies. She therefore shreds all her clothing into long, thin strips, not unlike the petals of a lily. Rather a creative solution, despite her illness, a method in her madness, as the old, rather cruel saying goes. We're twins, my sister and I. So the first time the red-headed lady appeared in the passenger seat, I thought, well, there you have it. It's happening to me, too. But then I tried to talk myself backwards, especially when the red-headed lady seemed to dissolve when I was halfway across the bridge. It's just stress, I told myself. That whole week, I was diligent in my self-observations paying extra attention to what was happening in my peripheral vision, finding the rational source of all unexpected sounds. 
being certain all the people I passed at work or in the street were fully formed and touching the ground with their feet. As I got into the car to drive back from the hospital on the second Wednesday night, I told myself I just imagined her that last week. It was probably some trick of the neon lights flashing up and down the road, but as soon as I passed through the intersection, I smelt the Shalimar. I turned and looked towards the passenger seat. There she was, head and shoulders in full form, and the rest of her just diffusing into smoky waves. And she was smiling at me. What do you want? I asked. She smiled. Who are you? She smiled, and there was something menacing in her smile, like it didn't belong there. I tried not to look or feel too scared. I had read somewhere that spirits, especially evil spirits, can sense our fear, and it feeds them. I decided to try another tactic. Get the fuck out of my car, I roared. She smiled and pulled a lipstick tube from the ether, reapplied her fluorescent pink lipstick, all the while maintaining her maniac expression. About that time, I began to go over the bridge. About halfway across, she evaporated, just as she had the week before, just as I'm hoping she will again tonight. Well, dear listener, sounds like our episode has met its gruesome end. But for whom do its bells toll? I'll tell you. This episode's authors are 1. Chris Crofton. Chris Crofton is author of his forthcoming book, The Advice King Anthology, to be published by Vanderbilt University Press. Chris Crofton is the host of the podcast Cold Brew Got Me Like. Chris Crofton's 2018 solo album, Hello, It's Me, is available on all platforms. And speaking of platforms, Chris Crofton's Twitter and Instagram handle is at the Crofton Show. Mmm, what a dreamboat. Two, Lebby Morrow. Lebby Morrow can be read in various issues of the Nashville-based zine Salt Weekly. And the Faces in the Corner companion zine. Grab yourself a copy before it grabs you. And three, me, Daniel Luca Pujol. They who's always right behind you, no matter how fast you turn around. Boo! Web address, P-U-J-O-L dot R-O-C-K-S. Read the lyrics or bust. That's it for tonight, folks. If you like what you've heard, hit the show notes for the pre-order linked to our companion zine, which, if you order one, will be hitting your mailboxes very soon. Don't want a zine, but want to give us a love offering instead? Our Venmo and Cash App links are in the show notes as well. Faces in the Corner is brought to you by Boss Babies LLC and through the generous support of our sponsors and listeners like you. Faces in the Corner is produced by me, Tom Sexton, Matthew Carter, Levi Funk, and Daniel Pujol, with original music by Daniel Pujol. Thanks again for being with us, and remember, 
When you lay your head down tonight and you cut off all those lights, may the faces you see in the corner be ever in your corner. Sweet dreams.